Welcome to another episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. Before we begin this episode, I want to say thank you so much for this fantastic first season. It's been an honor, it's been a pleasure, and I can't thank you enough for listening to this entire season. As we come to the end of season one, I am so grateful for each and every one of you. So now, let's get into this last episode for season one. Is a former competitive cyclist, DJ, martial artist, churn growth mindset coach. In his younger years, he imagined himself a very average life, getting a job at a country club where he worked amongst the most affluent people in the state of Utah. And this is where he began to learn the passion of the mind. And personal development became a big part of his life during these years. Over the years, he's been a sales rep for a Fortune 500 company, achieving the Combated President's Club Award in seven out of seven years. And he became obsessed with the mind and cognitive behavioral psychology and neuroscience. And over those years, he's been able to really dial in into elite coaching methods that allow for people to unleash the top performing sales, marketing, course creation, and mindset that all gets entrepreneurs and leaders and innovators from around the system to create ecosystems of personal branding, marketing, and sales, all while leveraging social media with ease. What I love about Simon is that he has a real success in life that stems around being financially successful and realizing that living a life where family, friends, and contribution to others, as well as self-care and happiness are top priorities. So I'm so excited to have this conversation with him. Without further ado. All right, Simon, so excited to have you on the show. Really, really, really glad to be able to have a conversation with you. I know we've talked outside of the show, and it's always fun to get into your mind and, and figure out that journey that you've been on. But first off, before we get into the weeds of where you've been, how you did it, and all of that, I want to say thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. It has been fun getting to know you. Uh, as you know, like I, I hang around with a lot of mindset coaches and you've always been somebody who stuck out in my mind, who really knows the ins and outs of mindset, personal development, psychology, human behavior. So it is absolutely an honor to jam out with you here today, my friend. Heck yeah. We're going to have a good time Ta- trying to get the show going. And I, I always love this question and I always love to hear where the guests go with it. I like to go to early childhood, right? So I like to turn back the wheel of time and I want to know who Simon was on the playground. What kind of kid were you? That was the kid who wanted to be a ninja. <laughs> I love ninja movies. I love like, I always watched them. I always dressed like it was funny because I would get in trouble for like uh, sneaking around the neighborhood at night. I remember one time some of me and my buddies, we were uh, playing ninja and I remember I climbed up onto a fence and there was a, a low roof line. And I remember thinking I was so sneaky, so deadly (laughs) sneaky going across this roof. And we get down on the other side and this huge football player comes running out thinking that we're a burglar. He picks me up, throws me up against a tree and just starts yelling at me. 
Ninja days were over after that, but it was, it was fun times, good experience with me. And yeah, I, I, I lived I played in the imagination a lot, which might be relevant to our conversation today. I, I'm very passionate about visualization and your internal state, but even as a kid, I loved living in my head as a ninja or a Jedi warrior and loved uh, those movies. And they just really helped me uh, think of, of living a big life, you know, and, it's, it was a great journey for me when I was a kid, but I, I, in, in summary to what you asked, I, I had a very playful mind. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And I think that's, again, this is a, is a cornerstone of a lot of people I've talked to and a lot of big entrepreneurs, leaders, you know, innovators that are coming up with these new ideas is that they allow their minds to, to take hold and just run free in that regard as being a kid and going through all of that. I know usually we have some influential people in our lives that kind of help mold us through all of that. Who was that for you? You know, here's what was the game changer for me. My friend was, uh, I, I remember walking down the street when I was in high school and thinking, you know, it's, it's too bad that I'm going to have such a average life because I was programmed that all I had seen was people living an average life. So why would I think any different? And I remember imagining myself growing up and getting, you know, just an average job that I didn't really like that I would be struggling and just, you know, disengaged with coming home at night, then, you know, hanging out with the family and doing the, the family thing for a bit and then going to bed and waking up and doing it all over. And I was lucky enough. This is so crazy that the universe blessed me with this, but I was able to get a job. A friend asked me to come work with him. He was a dishwasher at the local country club. And I was like, I don't think I can <laughs> be a dishwasher, but I'll be a bus boy and <laughs> scrape some dishes. Yeah. And uh, that led to a lot of really cool mentors. I worked with some very, very wealthy people. And, you know, I, I can say that I honestly had probably 10 different mentors from there, but there was one man that really stood out to me. And he was a dentist and orthodontist, very successful. And he had grown up on the West side and built this practice on his West, on the West side. And his brother was a very successful, uh, uh, he had a, a big franchise selling, you know, Chevrolet here in the Valley mm -hmm. and everybody knew his name. And this, this, uh, dentist was very successful himself, very financially successful, but it was so interesting because he joined the Salt Lake country club and I had moved up to be a manager there. And I remember, you know, we all have these limiting beliefs and they seem to be the core of almost everybody's limiting beliefs is some form of I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. And when I met him, it was so interesting because I just treated him with such respect, like I would with anybody, but I could tell that he had his own version of I'm not enough. I mean, he, he, this guy introduced me to Tiger Woods. He introduced me to Mark O'Mara's coach. I actually oh did a, a, a coaching session with Mark O'Mara's coach because of this man. But it was, I always ask him, you know, why was it that you took me under your wing? And he's like, because you treated me with respect when I joined the country club. Because, you know, in my eyes, this guy was super successful, hung around with some amazing people. But this manager at the country club, had treated him with respect that he didn't feel like he was getting from his colleagues, his wealthy colleagues. Mm -hmm. And I could not see that, but according to him, he felt like I made a major impact. So he took me under his wing and just taught me a lot. And I started to learn about business and entrepreneurship 
And just seeing the people at the country club, a lot of them were really down to earth. They had vast sums of money. Their children would do really well. And I realized that it wasn't so much that they had been, had access to things that normal people don't, but they just didn't have a lot of the limiting beliefs that so many of us, including myself, grow up with. And I truly feel that most of us were not expanding as much as we could because we're holding ourselves back. It's not a matter of us going out to get something or to learn something. Sure, that's part of it, but a lot of it is ourselves and how we limit what we can do or what we think is possible. Yeah, I have to, it it reminds me a lot of Rich Man, Poor Man, which is a book, I think it was written in the 70s, late 70s, but it talks about the essence of belief in the factors of money and how if you're raised in a poor household, you'll just always not have enough money. And it's not, obviously there's generational limitations and such and societal pressures and economical factors that affect that. But there's also those, like you said, those limiting thoughts of, hey, look, a rich man's going to see more opportunity or a rich family in that regard is going to see more chances of how money can be utilized or attracted toward them. And, and the way in their relationship with money is different versus an abundance versus a scarcity and how that really ties deep into the subconscious and all of these relations to your actions. And we all know this comes from thought. So I I have to say you probably getting into that regard early in your childhood development had to play a factor in that immensely through all of it though. We you probably had a fear as well. And what was your fear? I, I know you talked about a little bit, maybe having an average life, but growing up, what else was your, what was a big fear of yours? I think early on, I had a big fear of failure, a fear of trusting myself. It was interesting because leaving the country club, I actually was pretty much fired from that place because uh, the general manager, who is another person who was very impactful in my life, he saw that I had, you know, an entrepreneur spirit and he knew I was capable of so much more, but I couldn't see it myself. Mm-hmm. And so I remember the day he took me down into his office and he's just like, you know, we're going to make a plan, an exit plan. And you've got two months that you're going to be working here. And then after that, I'm going to give you two months uh, of income past that. And you're going to go out and you're going to figure it out. He's like, you're going to be fine. (laughs) And I talk about fear. I was so freaked out. It was, and the cool thing was he trusted me more, more than I trust myself. And through that, that helped give me confidence. My mom also said one time, she's like, I don't worry about you. Cause I know you're going to fall. Cause you're going to go try stuff out. And, but I know you're going to get up and just the learning from other people rather than myself, they could see things in my, in me and they trusted me. And that's what helped me kind of rise above some of those fears. But I think I've had a lot of the same fears that most people have. And uh, this is why I strongly encourage people to go out and and fail. And right now I actually get a rush from trying new things and, you know, taking messy action and crashing. And it's just so crazy how much stuff I can get done just without worrying about it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's been times in my life where ego has come in. Even when I got past that, there was times where like, you know, I tried to look the part or I, you know, I started buying things thinking that was what was what success was and crashing and burning in that respect too. But I think my biggest fears in the beginning was just, you know, the, uh, what most people have is a fear of looking bad and a fear of failure, which I wouldn't say those are high up on the list of fears for me now. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of those things is just <laughs> taking, I, I like how you said messy action of just the, the point of just getting out there. And, and a lot of people struggle with that. I know I've struggled with it in my own life, just wanting to be a perfectionist in regard to what I'm creating uh, before it's released. You know, I, I I will meticulously comb over things and then talk myself out of releasing stuff. And that, that happens tenfold for probably a good uh, amount of the population, if you will, for those people that are wanting to take action, massive action, or even if we want to say action at all, and they're limiting themselves in what they can and cannot do, or what they believe in they can and cannot do. What would you say to those people that are right on the edge, right? Toes on the edge, about to take that last step before massive or even action in general, what's words of wisdom you'd pass to that for that mind? I always like to think of, are your decisions made from a, a base of fear or a base of power? And when you line up your actions to that, if like you're on the edge and you're about to jump over and something's holding you back, that's a place where you're not free. Hmm. And right now where I see this a lot is with coaches. I work with, with a lot of coaches and my role is to kind of help them bringing, bring in a lot more business and, hmm a big issue is the sales part of this, of, of getting onto a call with somebody asking for a sale, painting a picture, feeling too salesy. And, you know, they get right on the, they're, they're good with creating content. They're good with, they know their stuff. They understand their craft in and out, but they're not doing well because they're afraid to, to get on a call with somebody or to even ask to do that. And here's what I would say to that is, the, the value is not if they sign on as a client, the value is freeing yourself from that fear. Mm. And so I, for me, I know that like a lot of times my decisions, when I'm uncomfortable doing something, the whole reason why I do that is because I do not want to be a prisoner of that fear. Yeah. I think that's a big part of a lot of things. And it, it takes certain people and certain types of uh, individuals that might be more accustomed to that, if you will, where they're willing to take that leap and then jump into something. I've always been a big believer. If it feels uncomfortable, then I'm going to go and do it. Um, but not everybody's got that message. Um, in that relation to how you kind of developed, you, you left this country club, right? We're moving into what now? Where are we going? Well, that, that's when I kind of went through my DJ phase. <laughs> and I love music. I love electronic dance music. And, I, you know, I, I was, it resonated with me on such a deep level as a listener and as someone who would go to clubs and hear the music. And it just really set me free. And when I left the country club, I did two things. I, I shacked up with an entrepreneur who uh, he had, this was kind of like in the era of Fast and the Furious, the movie about the race cars. And he had started a business selling a lot of these automotive products and it was brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I'm learning how to DJ. I'm learning how to develop a presence online. This is still kind of the early days of the internet as well. And so I uh, partnered with an entrepreneur and, and helped bring his business online. It was my first business that I was taking part of uh, my first foray into entrepreneurship and uh, it, the brick and mortar was just leaking money left and right. And so it was already overwhelmed and sinking. The ship was sinking by the time I got involved and uh, you know, I hopped in and started to sell online. Eventually, 
it was just going down too fast and I had to part ways, you know, I'm very loyal and I hung on for a long time, but eventually I had to part ways and then take my, create my own business out of that. So that paid the bills. And at night I was out throwing parties and partying and living the rock star lifestyle. And that was where the ego came in, my friend. That was where, you know, the hole in me at some point was the, 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 I'm not enough was my, you know, I felt like my parents, I felt like I didn't make him proud. And, and, and maybe part of this came from the country club being around so many successful people and, you know, seeing that that was possible, but not truly believing it. And the cognitive dissonance between my conscious mind and my, that said that I could do this and my subconscious mind that was like, no, you're going to live an average life. So, you know, I, I stepped into entrepreneurships in a couple different ways. And, you know, one was to create my online business, which was very successful for a while and then eventually crashed. And then, uh, being a DJ and, and living the rockstar life lifestyle. And I needed, I got, I really got into the validation of that. You know, it was so fun. I loved the music, but it was also fun to bring people together. It was fun to promote parties. It was fun to be at the center of attention, but also it was looking back on that. And, and this is me getting a little vulnerable is like, I needed that validation at that point in my life. And I wouldn't change a thing, but it's so different than who I am now. And looking back, I was, you know, I, I craved it and needed it. I needed other people to lift me up and it was all part of the journey, but it's just, it, it's really interesting to look back on that part of my life because it's, it's, you know, I, I guess I could say there's still, I can still feel residue from that from time to time. Uh, but it's, it's a person that I've gotten, you know, far away from, and it's a person that I respect. And I look back on that younger version of myself with kindness and compassion, but I also realized that it was someone so basic in nature compared to who I want to be, who I want to become. Yeah. I would say a lot of people are probably thinking anybody that knows you and sees your stuff before is like Simon was a DJ. This is going to be kind of groundbreaking where it's seen that's that egocentric mentality where we're all about drawing attention to self. Look at what I'm doing. Look what I'm creating. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Um, and then shifting to where you're at now, which is all about empowerment of other people. So it's quite a paradigm shift in that regard. So that transition through all of that is a beautiful journey. And I know in that failed business mentality that we talked about, where are you mentally in regard to what was the maybe cusp or event that caused you to say two failed businesses at this point, DJ's not working. I got to figure something else out. I got to change this all around. Yeah. I would say that, um, the point where shit really hit the fan. I remember it so clearly. Uh, I, I was taking part of that business and my, my expenses, you know, from living the lifestyle that I was living plus investments that I had made over the years, they had been, and this started at the country club, but it was starting to catch up with me. Like these, these, these expenses were compounding and we, you know, there was a big market crash and I had a lot of investments that were leveraged at that, you know, a few years prior, but that caused me to go into debt. And then, you know, when I went into those two businesses, I was already like in the red really bad. And I was bringing in money, but it was going out so much faster just because of the debt that I was in. And the breaking point came, you know, I remember it very vividly. It was New Year's Eve of 2005 and I was at the breaking point and I, something had to give. 
And I was in so much, I was probably like a hundred thousand dollars of credit card debt. And my, um, I, I talked with somebody about the situation and he said, Hey, my dad can help, help you fix this. My dad helps people with credit and he'll come talk to you. And so he sent his father over to talk with me and the guy's like, yeah, you can get out of this because you never technically signed for this stuff. Like it, like you can default on this and you're probably going to get some pressure from some collector debt collectors and stuff. And when he said that, I was just like, what the hell did I do? I've had all these opportunities and I've pissed them away. And I'm in, I'm sitting here talking to this guy that's telling me to default on all the shit that I created myself. And I looked in the mirror and I, I had so much shame, Brian. I was just like, I can't believe that. I mean, there's people that have tragic issues in their lives and I've, this was all my own doing. And I felt just like I had disrespected life so much. And it was a really shameful moment in my life. And looking at myself in the mirror, I, I just realized I'm going to get myself out of this. I don't care how long it takes in a hundred thousand dollars in 2005 when you're not bringing anything, I'm thinking this could be like a journey of a life. Like I could be on this path for a very long time. And I looked at myself and I said, that's what we got to do. There's no way I'm going to go bankrupt. There's no way I'm going to default on this. You just figure it out, mm-hmm. find a way out. And I took 100% ultimate accountability. And that's when I severed the partnership with, that I had. And I started my own business. And within one year I had paid off all of that debt. And I'd, <laughs> I'd made enough money to get myself completely out of a hundred thousand dollars credit card debt. And then after that, I never returned. And I it really started strengthening my, my financial acuity. And you know, this is where the personal be- development really started kicking in. But that, that moment is so painful in my life. And I'm sure some of your audience can relate to that, right? There's a moment where we just hit this breaking point and you really have no other option. I don't think that I did anything that special. I just re- realized that if I did one thing that I, that I would like to pass on to other people is just, you know, please have 100% accountability because you can't fix it. If you keep blaming, if I would have defaulted or if I would have claimed bankruptcy, then that wouldn't have helped me out and it would have helped anybody else out. But the best thing I could do for myself was to own everything. And from then on 100% ownership and accountability on everything that I do. Wow. That's quite a story. I can't, I can't even fathom that of having that conversation of, you know, you're in a hundred thousand dollars worth of credit card debt. You can bankrupt and walk away. Right. But like you said, if we walk that track, that track leads to probably repeating that same mistake again and pushing that on somebody else and other, other people's problems, taking that ownership. What was the realization there to be able to say, I am going to own this. I can do this. How did you get that mindset there to, to push that? Because a lot of people could have taken and said, let's, let's just take the easier route. I can, Oh, I can write this all off and it doesn't affect me. I'm going to do that. But you did the opposite. How? So I just, I don't know. I just kind of let the universe take over. I mean, I don't think I had the faith that it was going to happen. I didn't, I certainly didn't believe that I was going to get out of debt that fast. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know I'd build a business that was successful mm-hmm. uh, that fueled me for, for eight years after that. But I, I really just, it was a, a point where I was back against the wall and there was nothing else that I could do. I just had to think, how can I make money? I know how to, I, I, I know some of these manufacturers, 
I know how to build a website. I know how to market online. Somehow I got re- the universe provided me with the skills to get good with search engine optimization or in the early days of Google that came crashing down years later, but mm-hmm. for a while it got me from point A to point B. And this is, you know, something that I hope your viewers can resonate with too, is if you trust the universe, when you need those tools, the relationship, the person, the knowledge, it will come to you, you know? And that's why like, I live a, a, a very much stress-free and anxiety-free life. I don't overthink things and I don't stress about things very much. I mean, sometimes I get acute bouts of stress or anxiety, but it's very short-lived. And for the most part, I just, I go and do my thing. I know what I want and I work towards it. And all that energy that usually goes into people's overthink, I mean, cause your brain can, you know, this, your brain consumes so much power. It takes 30% of the energy of your body. And when you're spending that time worried, is this going to work out? What should I do? What, what will the people think of me? And you take that time spent of that type of thought process and you reinvest that into forward motion, it is incredible how much you can get done, how productive you can be. And like you've literally taken all that stress that holds most people back and put it into forward motion. So you're living a life where you're completely aligned, having fun, doing amazing things, moving forward, impacting people. It's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the best thing ever if you can tap into that. No, without a doubt. It's just taking the, like you said, um, I always like the neuroscience that's finally catching up with this and we're starting to see the, Hey, default mode networking, if you will, is happening for 50% of awaking consciousness. And if that default mode tends to be scientifically shown that it's talking about or worrying about or judging ourselves comparative to others or thinking about past events comparative to future events and where we're at right now. And you're taking that exact same energy and putting it into what you want to create. Yeah. You're, you're, you're tapping into that flow state and you're creating the life in which you want and action creates new thoughts. And then that stress fades away. And it's a beautiful thing. And you probably didn't figure out all of that, right? Where you're saying like, oh, this is what I'm doing, right? As that's happening for you. So at what point did you start to realize the mind is moldable? My thoughts do affect my actions. And how can I actually directly affect my reality? It's been a 20 plus year process for that. I, and I'm, thank you so much for, for receiving that and, and seeing that without even hearing my answer. It's, it's been decades in the, the making. Uh, I remember at the country club, I don't know how I heard of Tony Robbins, but I heard of him. And this might've been the time where Napster was around, which was the, the app where people could just like record stuff and post it freely on the internet and kind of circumvent the, the normal channels of, of buying stuff. And somehow I downloaded some Tony Robbins uh, tapes. I can't remember how I heard of his name, but I, I, I do remember having some CDs or tapes of his and listening to those on the way to work and back. And I remember teaching stuff to some of my employees when I was a very young manager. And also this is where this all started. Let me back up just a touch from there. So I used, I was interested in jujitsu. I got in jujitsu into Brazilian jujitsu very early on. This was like, you know, the early nineties before anybody even knew what it was. Mm -hmm. The UFC was just barely starting. And, uh, 
I was trained. I was actually an instructor in jujitsu under who is now one of the top Brazilian jujitsu instructors in the world. He, he set up shop here in Salt Lake City, and uh, you know I, I was with him when they were just training in a, a, a basketball gym or a, a gymnastics gym. And you know, as he built up his his school, it was so interesting. I started teaching classes, and I had this one class that I was teaching, and it was you know for for the white belts for the beginners. And there was this this hev- this um, heavy set man, very overweight, and he really had a hard time understanding the concepts of jujitsu. He was just really struggling with it. So I remember taking some time and teaching him some jujitsu moves and, you know, just doing this for free. I didn't charge him for private lessons, but just spent some time helping him refine his techniques. And one day he was just like, you know, thank you so much. I realized that you're spending extra time with me. And he's like, if there's anything that I can do for you, I'd love to help you out with that. And I was, you know, I couldn't imagine anything he could help me out with. Turns out this guy was a real estate mogul (laughs) and he's like, have you ever heard about like real estate investing in entrepreneurship? And I was like, no, not really. I don't even know what that is. And he gave me all these audio books and audio tapes and um, they were mostly real estate investing, which I still have never done other than like, you know, uh, some, you know, online investments, but I've never owned my own real estate. The one thing he did give me that was so powerful was this book called psycho cybernetics it's an absolute classic in the personal development world and it it's written by a guy who was a um he was a plastic surgeon and he kept fixing people's faces and a lot of times it was just like a minor adjustment oh my nose is too big i don't really think so but i'll fix it for you and then they have all this self-confidence after he fixes them but he started to realize it's not in the scalpel it's in the self-image. So he wrote this book, Psycho-Cybernetics, and it talks about visualization. And I remember him handing this book to me and I'm 22 years old. So this is 25 years ago mm-hmm. and reading it and just, I was like blown away. That was the first thing I ever did in personal development was read that book. And then that led to Tony Robbins. And then over the, the next 15 years, like I'd kind of ebbed and flowed into personal development. I, I was always interested in always listening to it to an extent, reading books and learning, but I never really went all in until like three years ago. And that was where I started. I, I just asked myself this, Brian, this is such a great question. And I hope your view, your listeners can resonate with this. And I encourage them to ask themselves this question is, you know, what would ha- what would your life look like if you went all in on you? And that comes from a quote from Jim Rohn, who is Tony Robbins mentor. And he said, your level of success, and that could be in money, life, relationships is in proportion to your level of personal development. So I remember hearing that and I remember thinking, okay, so I listen to podcasts here and there and, you know, I, I meditate or visualize here and there but what would happen if I like went all in, like what would happen if I became like a master of this stuff? And so in 2019, I just like dedicated myself to personal development and Holy shit. My life, my year just blew up. Like I, I put 35% growth into my sales uh, business. Like I had like you know, f- over my five-year average, I added 35% on top of that. And usually like in business or sales, you know, five to 6% growth is good. In that year alone, I had just, uh, I had increased it by so much. And then I started coaching. And then the, one of the mentors that I was listening to who has a top podcast, his podcast actually rates higher than Tony Robbins. 
you know, I started doing some coaching with him and getting into one of his groups. And now I'm actually one of his consultants that teaches other coaches. And that's, you know, a big part of my business right now is helping other coaches. And it's just insane how, if you surrender to the universe, you start learning, you start taking action, you remove the overthink. It's mind boggling what can happen in such a short amount of time. Uh, 2019 was incredible, you know, a little bit of a hiccup in 2020, but in those three years, since I've gone all in in personal development, it, I, I feel like I have to pinch myself. Like when I get up in the morning, I'm like, is this fucking real? Mm-hmm. Is this really happening? Cause I can't believe what my life looks like compared to that 17 year old that was walking to high school thinking that I was going to have an average life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of the journey of life. Right. That's the thing is that the construct you, t- you touched a ton, right? That cybernetics book. Uh, I've heard it. I have not read it yet. I need to probably get it on the list of readers, but it was it, the things I've heard on is like, you would change minute components on people's faces and they would have massive shifts in the way they saw themselves and, and what they did. And then he would do also other people where you do massive reconstruction on and they wouldn't change much at all. So it's this idea that there's this pre-imaged visionary, right? Belief system that lenses, right? Puts in front of our interpretation or, or perceptions of X, Y, Z realities, right? Outside of us, onward, inward, outward. So there's this bifurcation, if you will, there's this maybe bi-receptacle, this backwards and forwards kind of conversation that's happening in the way in which we see the world, in the way in which we see our part of in the world. Um, so finding that out, getting that personal growth, and I can attest to that same thing is just figuring that out of saying, hey, look, I'm going to double down on myself and, and get into that self-development. I'm going to focus into self and grow in that regard. Always pays out, right? I think we always try to look for these fix, quick fixes where we're going to go buy a course or what it be, or uh, maybe a weight loss course, maybe it's a mindset course, whatever it be. But if you never apply that stuff and into self-development, then that's not going to do anything for you. So biggest testament is that you took what you learned and then you applied it. Through all, all of this, we're at right now where we're, we're in a situation where we're allowed, allowing ourselves to coach others and helping other coaches that help other people. So your, your impact field, if you will, is massive. So where are we kind of at right now in our mind of where we want to go? Where, where, what's next for Simon? This is, it, it's fascinating to me. And this kind of shows where that we all have limiting beliefs. And this, this is how I realized it. So 2019, I started coaching with uh, my current mentor. He, his name's Rob Dial. He's got the Mindset Mentor Podcast. And I remember this is what started the whole thing is he asked me, what's, you know, what's stopping you from making a million dollars a year. And I, I stopped for a second. I replied back to him. Well, I don't need to make a million dollars a year. Like I'm doing pretty good. You know, I live a really good lifestyle, you know, got more than I need good work-life balance. And he said to me, Oh, so you're fat and happy. That's cool. And it was, it was exactly what I needed to hear because I was like, he's so right. I just like, that was just bullshit that came out of my mouth. You know, I I was hiding behind this lifestyle that I have. And I realized money has nothing to do with money is just a symbol of the value that you provide to the world. And the excuse that came up was I have plenty of money. I don't want to be greedy or I want, you know, I don't need that much. 
And that's kind of disrespectful to money. If you think about it, you can do a lot of good with money. You can help people out. Like for me, I love giving. And that's probably the most connection I ever feel is when I, when I'm extremely abundant in giving and you can do more of that with more money. And I just remember like he, that he called me out and it was, that that's the crazy thing though, Brian, is sometimes I don't hear my own bullshit unless I'm with somebody who's on such a higher level. And so I always try to surround myself with people that were, if I say something and they can call me out, I'm like, that, that's so true. Cause I, I, I need to be, I, there's been times in my life where I've stayed in my comfort zones too long and I live a pretty good lifestyle. And it's like, I have no reason to expand from there. I have everything or I could have everything that I want and need. So for me, this is a game of seeing what's possible. And I do respect money and I do want to keep creating more and more. And I do want to keep adding value to this world and helping other people out. But for me, the true, the, the fun in all of this is to see what's possible. But I remember it was such, it was such a disrupt for me because I just, my conscious mind was like, yeah, of course, anybody can make a million in a year. Mm-hmm. And then my subconscious was probably putting on the brakes that like there because the, the answer would be like, well, why aren't you doing this right now? If, if you can do it, then why aren't you doing it? And it just like was such a good wake up call for me. And the crazy thing is, this is how you tell what your subconscious wiring is. It, it's hard to know when you look under the, like we really don't know what's in, in our subconscious, mm-hmm. but the clues are your actions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the Simon of 2019, was he taking actions that correspond with a million dollar per year entrepreneur? No. Is he doing that stuff now? Yes. Is he there yet? Not quite, but the actions that I'm taking are so substantially different than they were in 2019. And so it was just a good wake up call because now it's like, once you hit that point, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people get stuck in the the dopamine treadmill where they're always chasing. They never feel like it's never, it's, it's good enough. That's not me. What I love is the journey. I love the process of figuring this out. And one of my mantras is if they can figure it out, then so can I, Mm -hmm. if they can do it, then I can figure this out as well. And it was interesting because like I'd parted ways from, from, um, my coaching with Rob for maybe, you know, two years during COVID and was just trying to figure this stuff out on my own. But I remember like last year in, in, uh, April, I think I was doing a lot of meditation. I was like, okay, how do I get to this next level? who knows what I need to know and what is that? And I kept, you know, had like three or four people on my list of who, who can I, you know, who's doing this stuff on such a high level of coaching? Like, cause you have coaches that you have super coaches and you have guys that are just like absolutely crushing it and helping and serving so many people. I want to be on the top level of that. How do I get there? Who's doing it? What are they doing? What do I need to do? know? What would they see do if they were in my shoes? That's different. And I remember meditating. I just, for some reason, Rob kept coming back into my mind and I, um, I got a text message for him like a week later. And the funny thing is, is I didn't even respond to it for a few days and I didn't even see it, but basically like I had asked the universe for the tools and there it was right in front of me. And for three days, I didn't even respond and I just didn't even think about it. And he's just like, come down to Austin, come chill. You know, I've got a private mastermind. I was like, okay, that's the sign from the universe. Yeah. So went down there. And since then it's just, it was another 2019, just like massive expansion. So that's put me in a position to serve other coaches going from coach to the, to 
basically a strategist to help other coaches mm-hmm. massively level up. And so for me, you know, part of this is just a big journey. Um, but it's going to be, be an ever expanding one for me. It, I just love the game too much. Mm-hmm. And, and right now my goal is to hit that, that million per year mark. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we'll see. And, you know, pre- previous years, it hasn't been about money. It's been about how many people can I impact? Mm-hmm. Part of that right now is how many coaches can I help to get more reach? How many coaches can I help not be afraid to sell or to market better? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where my role is. But as you can see, it's, it's kind of a, a journey that evolves. Mm-hmm. Three years ago, I never even imagined being a coach. I just signed up with him just to learn the mindset part of it. <laughs> but the universe drops these things in front of you. And that's what's so exciting. You talked about that early on. Mm-hmm. It's just the journey and how fun this is. Yeah. The journey is, is when you're an active participant in intentional living, intentional living, it, it really becomes more of like this game, if you will. And if there's anybody that's again, thinking like, Oh, well, uh, money attracts greed. And yes, there's a component there where you can start to see that relation there. But if you're, you're, you're seeing money, not part of the equation, yes, the money will attract to you and yes, you'll make more money, but that's not the point of what we've why we do what we do or the reason in which we do it. Cause if that's the way you do it, then you're never going to have enough money. Then you're in a scarcity mindset. Then you're never going to have enough money. So it's that shift of that mind of saying, yes, I'm, I might get more money, but the money's not going to change the actions in which I'm doing and the impact in which I'm creating. So flipping that script of through my actions, like you said, it's a value measurement, a metric, if you will, of how big of your value is in the earth, if you will. That's just a tool. It's just an, an aspect of a metric that doesn't define you, doesn't make you greedful or any of the aspects. So I think a lot of people have that. So if anybody's having that, that, that correlation there, it's like, well, yeah, I have a comfortable life right now. Why would I need more money? What would you say to those people? I'd say be, you know, cause I hear that a lot now and being on the other side of it, but even using myself as the example, when I say like, I have enough money right there, I'm almost implying that I'm guilty for wanting more. Mm-hmm. Like it, it almost feels weird even now just to say, Hey, I want to, yeah, I want to make a million a year and then grow from there. There's still this part of me, this from, from when I was young that still shows up right there. I can tell what my, early childhood wiring was just because I can feel it a little bit in my body that it's a little uncomfortable for me to say that my conscious mind is like, there's nothing wrong with making as much money as you can. It doesn't mean you're greedy, but there was a part of me when I was a kid that was programmed that like rich people are greedy or money is bad. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to feel that, but I would say like, just using my own example, you know, if someone's feeling that like, be okay, understand that money it it can be a bad thing or it can be a good thing. It's, it depends on what you make it. This is what's crazy, Brian. There's, there's actually something called the giving pledge. And if, if any of your audience goes and types this in the giving pledge, they'll find a website that has probably like hundreds of names of people with net worths that are in the billions that are pledging the vast portion of their wealth to charity when they pass on. There's some big names on there, some very, very big names that are very recognizable. I never hear about people. I don't even know how I found this website, but it's amazing because I never hear it. You know, we hear about how all the the greedy stuff that people are doing Mm -hmm. go on to CBC. They have like a show that like 
greed in the USA or greed in America or whatever, Mm -hmm. but why are they not publicizing stuff like that? Mm -hmm. I mean, people like Warren Buffett, there's Mm -hmm. so many like wealthy billionaires and they're in it for the game too. And yes, there are some people who are very greedy and it's a power thing, but you know, it just depends on the lens Mm -hmm. that you view it. And it depends like the people that you want to be around. It's interesting because all the, I know quite a few wealthy people now and all the ones I know are, amazing people. Mm-hmm. I don't think I know anybody who's, you know, what, what you think of when you say rich people are greedy or they're, you know, they, they take advantage of people or they, they're evil. I just, I don't know any of them personally, but I can probably even the 10 closest people to me, there's easily, you know, seven of them that have a net worth over of multi, you know, several million millions of dollars. And they're some of the most amazing people. I probably know like at least 20 to 30 millionaires and beyond. And I don't know one person who I don't trust, mm-hmm. who I wouldn't trust to take care of my kid or to you know help me out in a bad situation. And I see a lot of them doing some good. So it, that that's that would be my message is that just like notice if you have that aversion because it's really holding you back and money is it's it's energy just like love mm-hmm. and money should pass through you too i mean that was one thing that i found when i went through my almost you know going through bankruptcy when i did get everything fixed for a while there to really start growing my net worth you know i i, I didn't have a lot of expenses made a lot of money didn't have a lot of expenses and allowed that to grow. Here's where exponential growth goes mm-hmm. is when you're, you let it flow through you. So you're, you're not spending, you're respecting money. You're partnering with it. You, you know, right now I'm in a big investing phase. So I'm bringing on a team and this week it's so fun because, you know, the younger entrepreneur, Simon would be like, Oh, I don't want to invest in, you know, so bringing someone on my team because I just made that money and I got to keep it for myself. <laughs> But now it's like, okay, how much can I have money can I have flowing through me? So mm. not just coming in, but going out too. Mm. That doesn't mean going out to go party or buy ridiculous shit that I'm never going to use. Mm. That means investing in other people and bringing them on, mm. teaching them how to be an entrepreneur mm. and letting that flow. But I, like I said, I think the, the best answer to that is, you know, like really notice when you, you feel icky about talking mm. about money because that's holding you back. Yeah, no, I think that's really powerful. And I think a great question to that to really bring light to it. And maybe it's a journal prompt. Maybe it's a meditation is like, why don't I deserve to make $1 million a year? Right. And really dive into that and say, well, I don't need that. Why don't you think you need that? What could you do with a million bucks? Start answering those questions, see where they take you. And next thing you know, you're like, wow, I can actually take that million dollars. Yeah, I don't need to live off a million dollars but maybe I can take a million dollars and like you said, take a hundred thousand dollars of it and invest in somebody else to have that spark and their dreams come true and them to get that mindset and then them to expand exponentially in their own journey. And how many lives does that change? So the, the, the definite component there is the subconscious mind in relation to money and where that money comes into correlation to our value of self or even how the world will judge us if we have X amount of money. And that's the thing it goes back to define, define your own values. Don't let the world define what you do in that world. Absolutely. This was what was really fun too. So uh, I brought on an executive content director to my team. Who's going to be helping me out. And she, she found me through LinkedIn and she was inspired by my content. 
And, you know, I had her doing some other stuff for me, but just recently created a new role for her, which I'm really, really excited for. But it, it was so fun to say to her, okay, write your own ticket. I basically told her, okay, tell, this is what I need. Okay. I need someone to help me to grow revenue. I need somebody to help free up some bandwidth. I gave her like three things that I needed and said, okay, you create your own role out of this. Tell me what you want to do and think big. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, let's start some merchandise. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. what do you want to do? Let's start like, you know, I need you, you know, let's m- create some mindset movies. Let's get some like cinema quality stuff going out there. You know, like, what can we do? What do you want? What feels good to you? But it was really cool to just say like, you, you know, she got her MBA too. It's so cool. Cause it's just like, this is her first job out. And I don't even consider it a job, but it's like, create whatever you want out of this. You want some partnership. Okay. Show me how we're going to create, you plan this out. These are my ideas you implement this. And if you do, you know, like, let's give you some equity in this, but it's just so fun to just be that kind of a leader where it's like, you know, I'm not going to micromanage her. I'm going to trust her, tell her what I need help with and give her free reign over that. That to me is what makes this so fun. My friend. Yeah. Without me a doubt. Up. Yeah. Without a doubt. Just thinking of that, if that, if that was your first job and if you had a big enough mind in that point where you could step into that and say, now there's some people that struggle to expand to that, to that level. Right. And they're like, tell me what to do. I don't know. I don't know what to do next. And you can coach them and guide them and help that. But to have that opportunity to say, Hey, look, here's what the three bullets are, what we're trying to hit, go and do it. I'm not going to question you how you go and do it. I'm come back to me if you want guidance, if you're looking for questions to bounce off of, but go create this. Don't put any limits on it, man. What are you going to come back with? <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, such an analogy with like, this is where it really gets fun is when you trust the universe like that. Uh, I started getting into this idea of just trusting things and not worrying about it. And like I said before, that frees up bandwidth, it frees up a lot of energy and time for you to be putting that into stuff that you really want to create. Here's the thing that most people don't really think about is like, why are we thinking of this as like, it's just me creating this. It's like Mm -hmm. me and the universe Mm co-creating and why would I constrict that all? Like if you're trying to control other people or, you know, if you're an employee and you don't like to be controlled, you have a boss micromanaging you and you feel like, yeah, if someone's hovering over me, I just am not at my best self. I feel stifled. Then why the hell would you like try to constrict your relationship with the universe why not like treat it with trust and just like acceptance and just like excitement, curiosity. And that's something that I've just really leaned into. Not, you know, like not only does it free you up a lot of time and energy, but it also just like, it feels so good to just like co-create. And it's not just you out there. You, you can tap into like this universal consciousness. You can tap into other people as resources. And I think that's something that you are really good at. You always are getting engaged with the right people and having conversations and, you know, sharing knowledge with them. But that, that's what I'm talking about. That's kind of like a, a, a co-consciousness, you know, mastermind as Napoleon Hill would describe it. Mm-hmm. But like, we're part of this world, this universe that's ever expanding. Everything in nature is always growing outward, mm-hmm. but 
the one species that isn't is humans because we're like worried that you know we're still living in prehistoric times people are going to come get my stuff so i gotta like rip in and hold on to my stuff have my treasure chest down in the vault and have you know the 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 sword out and protecting it and sleeping by the vault instead of like out there in nature expanding and growing but the universe the universe itself is always expanding Mm -hmm. And if once you realize that and you stop trying to like when you're trying to control, that means constriction, that means holding back instead of letting things grow. And so just that feeling of abundance just comes from, okay, like I trust you. I trust yeah. people that work with me, like go create something till I have a reason for you to not trust mm-hmm. you. Then, you know, it's on, but like have that relationship with, with the universe as well, or, or whatever higher power that you believe in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever it be, right. I, I, that's, that can be God. It can be whatever universe, larger energy, whatever source, whatever you want to use in that, in that filler point at that. And you just place all that aspects of surrendering into it. And then also believing good intent is that people do have good intentions in what they're going to be doing for you. And, and it's not somebody that's going to connive against you. And because in that mindset, then you're, you're never going to trust people. And if you can't trust people, you can't trust yourself. So where are you at? So, yeah, man, this has been a great show and we're going to have to try to wrap it up, but going to have to maybe have you on the show again. We can dive back into some other content and get into that mindset of maybe relations and entrepreneurship and all the sorts. But I want to wrap it up. I always like wrapping it up with a couple of questions for my guests. And one of the two is that what is a book that you absolutely changed your life and you recommend everyone, anyone you coach, anyone that's wanting to do self-development or maybe not be self-development. Maybe it's just a fun book, but what is a book in which you would recommend to anyone listening to read? I'd recommend um, Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. It was, it was so interesting because I was, I kept seeing that book. I didn't read it until after it was published for two years, but this is how powerful the subconscious is, is I didn't pick up that book because it said monk on there. Yep. And in my head, I was correlating monk with not having money. <laughs> so, Man. so money to me is a good thing, but it's so fascinating because I was like, why don't, don't I, that, that guy, you know, young, handsome man, mm-hmm. I love his content. Like, why am I not reading his book? And then I read it. I was like blown away, especially because of how young he is and the wisdom that he has. And that just, it, it's so inspiring for me just because I'm, I'm 47 at the time of this recording. So, I, you know, I'm on the second part of my wonderful mm-hmm. journey here, but I feel so good about the younger generations. And this is a perfect example of that. And it was just, <laughs> just interesting to see that, like, I didn't pick up that book and I didn't know why. And then when I did a deep dive on that, cause I love mapping out like what's under the hood. And what I came back with was I didn't read it because it said monk on there and some part of my brain feels like monks don't have money and, but they're the most happy people in the world, but I love that book. And then definitely got to, got to pitch psycho cybernetics again. Cause that was the first ever book that I read in personal development. Yeah. You, you were the first one to put that, uh, think like a monk in front of me. So that, that was a book that was definitely, again, it's just that happiness key factor of their, how are they finding it and where are they tapping it into that? You're not, like you said, 
it's not obviously correlated to money. So what is it correlated off of and where is it stemming from? And it's a great book. So definitely recommend that one as well. Last question before we wrap this all up, what excites you the most about the future? I I can't believe I'm saying this, but the younger generation, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're always told that, you know, there's so much division, so much separation and this, this lens to the, to how I view the world, the lens that I'm wearing, the people that I'm around, but I'm really excited for the future. And there's been times in my life where I was fearful of that. Like, you know, every, cause you hear that all the time, people saying like things are going downhill, but I, I'm really excited for the younger generations. I really connect with millennials and younger. And I love that a person, you know, getting a little bit older in age, I don't like using that word because I don't feel like I'm nearly as old as the numbers say, but I really relate to millennials and they give me so much hope. And I learned from a lot of them too. That's what's so cool. So I'd say that's what got, what's got me really excited is just the future of humanity. Thank, you know, so much gratitude to our younger generations. Yeah. I think it's always inspiring. And that's, is again, a shift of saying versus things are getting worse. Good old times are lost. All the X, Y, Z's that you can hear in those plugs of those subconscious negativity mindsets in relation to, well, this newer generation coming up has a lot of empowerment. They feel as if they can make a big change. Like, where's that going to go? Where's that unlimited mindset going to lead. And that could be a point of excitement. So yeah, I I have to definitely say that that's probably something that's going to be revolutionary and life-changing for a lot of people, but it's a way of optimistically thinking about the future. So, but Simon, we're wrapping up the show. It's been awesome getting into the mind of where you were, how you did what you did and where you came from throughout all that journey in relation to money, into relation of entrepreneurial failships to now where we're at and where you actually plan to even expand that tenfold. I'm excited to see it go onward from here. And it's always a pleasure chatting with you, Simon. So thanks again for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much, my friend. It was so good to jam out with you. You and I have a a great bond over mindset. Let's keep delivering to anybody that we can serve and just help people level up. Absolutely. Thanks again. Have a good one. See ya. And that's this episode of the Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. Be sure to check out Simon's LinkedIn page. You'll find so many tips for how to improve your mindset and expand your life. I invite you to check it out. And as always, stay curious. Keep expanding.